Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan, and today you're joining me for a conversation with Christopher Triana, author of Full Brutal, They All Died Screaming, The Prettiest Girl in the Grave, Gone to See the River Man, and its sequel, Along the River of Flesh, which releases on August 1st. Christopher has won the Splatterpunk Award for Best Novel two times and is to this day the only author to win the award twice. Christopher, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Evan. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Uh, so every time I do one of these interviews, I always start with this question, and it is, what are you currently reading, if anything? I know you're writing a lot, so you might not have time to read, but... Well, uh, no, th that, that is true. I do a lot of work, and... Uh, I will say being a full-time professional writer has cut into my reading time because I'm so often looking at text when I'm writing and editing and all that stuff that like my eyes start to wear out by the end of the day. So it has affected my leisure reading. But I always set at least one day a week aside to just read. Um, and I just finished reading a book called Sick uh, by Henry Rollins. Uh, you know, Black Flag and Rollins yeah. Band. You know, I'm a liar, that guy. Uh, well, he, he's always written books, or at least, you know, since the 90s, he's been writing books. And uh, some of it's prose, some of it's journal entries, but this is uh, his first one in a while. And I picked it up and man, it was absolutely devastating. It's uh, really an account of um, PTSD and uh, survivor's guilt from when he and his buddy, Joe Cole, uh, there was a home invasion and his buddy was killed and Rollins himself was almost murdered, but managed to get away. Uh, and this was, you know, 30 years ago, but the book is about how it still haunts him every day Whoa. of his life. Yeah, it was really, really heavy and really upsetting, but a very good read, very good book. Um, so I've just finished that one, and I got a couple in the mail, including um, Christopher Rufty's new pillowcase, uh, I'm sorry, pillow face, <laughs> uh, I said it wrong. Uh, Pillowface uh, is a slasher uh, series that Christopher Rupty does, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, his new one, uh, he just sent me in the mail. So I'm going to get on that one next. Man, Henry Rollins is a super interesting guy. I've listened to a lot of interviews with him. Like, what a life that man has led. Oh, absolutely. He's fascinating. But there's there's just a lot of darkness in the poor guy's heart. Um, and you see that a lot when you read his books. Uh, when you go to his spoken word shows, they're much more positive focused. They're very energy based and almost comedic sometimes. Uh, but his books are just about him just dealing with severe depression and PTSD uh, from from that and also from a very rough childhood. I mean, what better way to communicate those kinds of feelings, though? Right, right. And he never he never comes off like whining or being like, I'm a victim or, or anything like that. He's just talking about it in a very direct, straightforward manner and what it's like, you know, every December when it's once again the anniversary of his friend being murdered uh, and how it affects him every December. Wow, yeah, what a cool read. Um, so, yeah, when you're reading and you're not writing extreme horror, uh, are you kind of like sticking to like nonfiction horror or do you branch out into other genres at all ever? Oh, no, I totally branch out. Um, and... It just depends on what it is. Like sometimes I'll have a, a fiction book I'm reading and a nonfiction book. You know, it just depends. Some some nonfiction books I can just kind of flip around through. I don't need to go back to it right away because it'll be a subject that I already know a lot about. Like for example, the the Taking Shape books, which is all which are all about the uh, the history of the Halloween John Carpenter's Halloween Michael Myers series. Uh, those I can just bounce in and out of because like uh, I'm not going to lose my place or forget where I was because uh, it's it's a series I know so much about already. Um, but I, I do change uh, genres a lot. I love reading crime fiction. It's probably my second favorite 
genre. I also love Westerns, so I read a lot of those as well. Uh, and just, you know, anything. I mean, there's some genres that I'm not that into. You know, you won't catch me reading a lot of books with Fabio on the cover, but otherwise, I, I like a variety. You know? So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the horror genre, because it's a genre that I've been getting a lot more into lately. Um, I used to nice. really just mostly read fantasy books, and then I kind of you know, gravitated over towards science fiction and some other literary fiction and stuff. And then I started reading Stephen King. And I think mm -hmm. that's probably where a lot of people start. And absolutely. <laughs> I mean, not to knock M Mr. King, which I know, I know he's listening right now. Uh, Stephen, I know, totally. I know, uh -huh. uh, but like some of the stuff that I've been reading, uh, including a lot of your work is it makes Stephen King look like Looney Tunes. Like, I mean, it's. <laughs> well, I, I, love... I appreciate, I appreciate the, the compliment, but I think you mean as far as extremity. Right, goes, exactly. Right? Not, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. not necessarily quality or anything like that. I just mean like, um, yeah, yeah. You know, some. Of... I wouldn't, I wouldn't just compare myself to his level at this point in my career. He's, he's kind of the, he's the king for a reason. Right. You know? He is the king. Totally. Uh, but I was curious on your thoughts. I mean, it seemed like horror, um, you know, with King being super popular in like, I guess the late seventies into the eighties and into the nineties. And, um, you know, mm -hmm. you had people like Dean Koontz and, uh, John Saul and, you know, all of these kind of like commercial horror writers. And I feel like you don't right. super see that anymore. It seems a little bit more underground. Like, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Uh, I think what, what we're really seeing now is a rise in the popularity of the underground because we still have a lot of, you know, more mainstream horror writers. Uh, you know, King himself is still working. And then you've got, you know, like the, the, the new the new boys like, you know, uh, Josh Mallerman. But even like Mallerman, he was underground. And then, you know, Bird Box took off for him and now he's, you know, a much bigger name. Uh, you know, but you have people like Brady Hendrix and like other authors who are kind of more mainstream horror writers. Um, but the underground movement is where you'll get the balls to the wall, uh, extreme, disturbing, transgressive fiction. Uh, and, and, and you really see a, like, you know, I'm 46, so I've seen this go up and down as a reader and as a writer, uh, the rise and fall of popularity. Like you said, Stephen King kind of, uh, kicked in the popularity of the horror fiction paperbacks in the, in the eighties, uh, because he was so popular, it was a lot easier for, uh, other writers who wrote horror to get their their work published because there was such a demand for it and all of the publishers wanted to jump on that bandwagon of Stephen King style horror paperbacks uh and then you know like then like you know around the 90s it started to dip down a little bit and like it kind of goes back and forth and the same thing with the sub genres of horror you know like splatterpunk has had a huge resurgence in the last couple of years uh so you know everything kind of moves in cycles like that was Splatterpunk uh, as popular as it is today at an at an earlier time? Uh, well, yeah, it's kind of gone back and forth. Like I would say in the eighties, that's when you really start to see stuff like you know writers like John Skip uh, come out with you know some splatter stuff. Certainly, Clive Barker had a huge influence on the splatter on Splatterpunk. Yeah, he was at the time that he became like a thing. He was like the most extreme guy going, uh, but managed to become mainstream as well. Uh, but then, you know, in, in the early 2000s, you know, we had people like Jack Ketchum, who was my idol. Um, totally. And yeah, we have uh, Brian Keene, Rath James White, Brian Smith. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys are coming out. And then we had the whole uh, Leisure Horror was the, the name of the publishing house that put up a lot, put out a lot of those books uh, that weren't guys that were, you know, as big as Stephen King, but were, were still excellent horror writers. Uh, and that's when we, that's the kind of stuff that 
I started to see in the early 2000s that I became really addicted to. That was kind of my transition from King and Barker into the more uh, underground or the more the more splatterpunk extreme. And those guys were all a huge influence on me. Yeah, I haven't read any Jack Ketchum. I have The Girl Next Door on my shelf, which I've heard is oh boy. kind of kind of difficult to get through. <laughs> it's it's a very disturbing book it's it's considered as like masterpiece of uh, extreme horror uh but it's not a lot of blood, blood and guts or anything like that it's just the transgressive content the taboo content and that's why ketchum has always been uh my my literary idol is um like when i was reading him i saw a difference between him and not all but, but some of the other splatterpunk writers really just went for the gross out whereas uh ketchum wanted to more get into you emotionally and psychologically disturb you rather than just be like, you know, blood and feces and vomit and like, you know, all the gross shit. Not that there's anything wrong with that stuff, you know, because I, you know, I love, I love an Ed Lee story and they're disgusting as hell, but I love him. He's an excellent writer. Uh, but Ketchum, something about Ketchum's work just really uh, got into me and like laid its roots in, in his influence to me. So uh, definitely check him out. Yeah. You will not be disappointed. Awesome, awesome answer. I, I'm stoked that we're having this conversation. And not only am I kind of new to this genre, especially extreme horror, but a lot of people listening are new to more underground, maybe more obscure horror as well, and probably mm. really want to get into that. Because, man, I mean, right. you know, it's, I, th I feel like, you know, it's called Splatterpunk. There's a lot of blood and guts and gore and stuff. But there's, a, there's this, like you were saying with Jack Ketchum, it feels like there's this whole side to it that it's almost like, because all of this stuff is crossing so many lines, it's like I'm so much I'm so zoned in to like how these people are feeling and what's going on, you know, like yeah. with, uh, with yeah. They All Died Screaming, like They All Died Screaming. I, I love that book because, I mean, you're taking the, this idea of an, of an apocalyptic scenario that these people are going through. And, you know, with something like that scenario, a lot of the time you're you're looking at how this this situation is ruining the lives of the people that are going through it um but you took some characters whose lives were kind of already as bad as they could terrible do. Yeah, yeah awful terrible. and yeah. then kind of putting yeah. them through this situation and it was it was so endearing to see um like the reaction to something that's so terrifying like a disease that makes you scream until you die like that idea is already on its face so terrifying but to see it through the eyes of people who are already so checked out you know like already mm -hmm. like it was it was really moving and really powerful it's such an awesome idea oh thank you so much i appreciate it yeah um that's I'm, I'm glad that that registered with you because that's really what i was going for i wanted to you know because you watch these zombie movies and these plague movies and vampire movies where like you know everyone's slowly turning to monsters uh and like you said there's always these this group of heroes and maybe there's you know there's usually one bad egg in the group that just you know, like the Romero effect that proves that people are the biggest monster of all. Totally. Um, but with with but otherwise, you know, they're they're usually decent people. So you have someone to root for. And I was like, fuck that. I want to have people <laughs> that are the dregs of society. Uh, and I thought to myself, like, what if Charles Bukowski or Hubert Selby Jr. wrote a you know a, a a zombie novel type thing? Not that my character, my monsters are zombies in that book, but it's the same kind of principle where like the world's going to hell and people are going nuts. So I was like, yeah, I want them to be, uh, my main characters are drunks and prostitutes and conspiracy theorists that live with their mother, right. you know, yeah. people like that. Yeah. And it's just an angry barman. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was, that was, you know, the, the whole concept. 
for me. And then, you know, the scream itself was a, a whole other thing where it just came to me one day. I was like, what if you started screaming and you just couldn't stop? Like you wouldn't be able to eat. You wouldn't be able oh to God. sleep. You know, like you would just slowly go more insane until you killed yourself or started killing other people. While we're on the subject of the all dead screaming, um, <laughs> please, please confirm that this is true. Cause this is like the coolest thing I've ever heard, but were you, you had almost finished it or had finished it like right before the COVID-19 pandemic. I is did that... finish it right before it. Yep. What right the... before I wrote it. That Isn't must that have crazy? been the weirdest couple of months of your life. <laughs> like it really <laughs> was. It really was. Yeah. Cause I wrote, um, I, I wrote it through 2019 and finished it like in December or early January of 2020, like the rough trap was done. And I started working on it with blood, uh, blood on books, the publisher started working on the edits and everything. And uh, and that's when everything started to happen uh, with, uh, you know, the real life plague and, you know, the people that were baiting us that they're like, Did, is this your fault? Did you do this somehow? Yeah, you you know, I felt like reality. Yeah, I felt like <laughs> Sutter Kane, you know, from fucking In the Mouth of Madness. You know, I was like, all right, my, I can write reality. Next book is about a guy named Chris who's a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, Maybe I, hope so. you. <laughs> I mean, and especially but, because, you know, the beginning of that pandemic, I mean, now with with hindsight, you know, I mean, obviously it was really shit. It was awful what was going on. Mm -hmm. um, but I think at the beginning it was there was so much unknown and so much fear kind of like around those events. I mean, um, yeah. we had we had as a country, especially um, as a country that was so connected virtually and able to see so much happening in real time, this kind of thing had never happened before. And right, so it right. was so like I was with that month, like that month of like, like late February into March, I was glued to my phone. Like every time I refreshed yeah. Reddit, it was like this new crazy fucking thing that had just happened. And it was yeah. so scary. And so I imagine like going through that process when you had already kind of had a pandemic on the brain for so long. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty wild. It really was. And yeah, that was a just the, the whole COVID era was such a crazy time. Um, and, you know, talking with Mark at Bloodbound Books, you know, we, we discussed it. We're like, should we even release this book now? Are people not going to want to read this kind of thing? Um, but I was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's let's just go with it. Because, you know, the plague is only, you know, the, the plague or virus or whatever the scream is. That's only one part of the story. You know, there's, there's a whole other story that's going on about the, the boy and the man on the farm. Yeah, uh, that's a, like a parable story. So I was like, well, there's more to it than just this play thing. And the other thing that I wanted to do with that book is whenever I watch a uh, like a, a zombie movie or a story like that uh, or any movie, any movie where the world is where it's like a post apocalyptic you know, a, a event, hap an apocalyptic event happens, uh, they always very quickly go through when it starts and then the, the main story is usually the aftermath the world's already fucked and it's like the survivors trying to get by like in the walking dead mm -hmm. uh i but to me i always get much more excited about the impetus of it the, the early days like when it first happens uh you know like if you ever watch the the remake of dawn of the dead the opening mm -hmm. of that movie is fantastic because it's Perfect. utter chaos as things yeah. just start yeah okay so you know it's very good uh, uh yeah. Same thing with uh, Black Summer on Netflix, where it's uh, at least the first season. I kind of lost interest, to be honest. But the first season, it's just total chaos. And that's what I did with They All Died Screen. I'm like, it's just going to be the early hours of the end, you know, because um, that to me is more exciting. So we've had we already have a million books of people wandering around the post-apocalyptic America. So I, 
and video games and movies. I didn't. I just didn't want to do that again because it's just an oversaturation. You know, it's kind of like zombies in and of themselves. I I wouldn't want to do a story about zombies because it's just been done to death. Well, I remember reading The Stand, and um, the first like third of that book is a lot of that. Like it's a lot of yeah. just. Well, uh, I think he keeps repeating the phrase "no great loss" over yeah. and over again, um, which is mm -hmm. just it's, it hits so hard because it's like, well, I mean, kind of, man. Like this is yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's very crazy. very nihilistic. Yeah, it, it does. It gets it get, it gets very strange. That book. Uh, that's a great read. I haven't read it in a long time, but um, yeah, it's a great one. And I read the uh, the totally uncut one that they yeah, like that's like oh god, fourteen hundred fucking yeah, yeah. It's absolutely massive. Okay, so this is kind of a fun question. Uh, your work is very graphic. For all our listeners listening right now that that haven't read Christopher Triana, he fits into a genre called extreme horror, right? I mean, it's there where there is no holding back with this, right? Mm -hmm. like there, this is this is very gory. It's very gruesome. It's very violent. Um, there's a lot of sexual things going on here that would probably offend a lot of people uh do you mm -hmm. ever kind of like gross yourself out or do you ever feel like uh maybe not that one chris like this is you know <laughs> like, does that ever happen or what, how is that process for you i don't think i gross myself out but i do amuse myself with uh knowing that i'm gonna gross out other people uh you know like there's a there's a scene in they all died screaming featuring an rb sandwich and oh my i'm not God. gonna <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna say what happens but if but if you read it, you know. And as I was writing it, I was like, okay, this is gross, but I'm going to write the scene really romantically. And uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I and it made me laugh to myself because I knew people were going to get like just grossed out by it. Um, but I yeah, I definitely do write some extreme stuff, but not all of my books are extreme or splatterpunk. But you know, my most popular ones certainly are Full Brutal, The All Dead Screaming, Toxic Love, uh, Body Art. Those are really vile and disgusting books uh in certain scenes but again i do want them to be character driven good stories i'm not just going for the gross out uh and um but i think the one that that is that grossed me out the most working on was uh the night stalkers and that that's because it was a collaboration it's like my only collaborative novel to date i wrote co-wrote it with ryan harding and ryan harding is the creme a la creme of of just extreme blood and guts and gore so working together with him we were kind of trying to outdo each other as <laughs> yeah. we were writing it and and also like make each other laugh and it worked we had a, a wonderful time working on it uh but some of the most intense disgusting shit in that book came from ryan uh for sure <laughs> You're blaming uh, so hats off uh, well I'm, I'm i'm applauding him at the same time yeah. uh, you know he's he did great he's a great work so uh, i highly recommend fans of mine check out ryan harding to the point about the arby sandwich um you know not that there's anything wrong with grossness for grossness's sake or anything mm -hmm. like that but i do think it's really awesome that you know as as gross as that scene was I, there's there's a whole reason why exactly like the, exactly the, like the, i mean there's like a there's like a big reason why that that exact scene happens and and others yeah. that are like it but not quite to that level of grossness but i mean they're still pretty gross but i mean the whole i i don't want to give too much away but like this whole idea of like not feeling complete you know and never yeah. feeling like that and feeling like, like there's always like this hole inside of you and it yeah i mean yeah, it's gross, but it translates over super. I got it like immediately. And I was just like, yeah. hey, that was effective as fuck. Like, I mean, it, it worked, you know? Oh, thank you. 
and I always want there to be a point to it. I don't, I never write anything gratuitously. Um, you know, I, I'll never write some long descriptive rape scene because that's just not cool. And uh, it's not important to the story. You can have a, a story where like, you know, there's a rape in the story without getting into these long graphic details. Because to me, that's that's lazy uh, extreme horror. That's just being like, look how nasty I could be. How I could describe rape or, de or describe, uh, you know, a, a, I, I don't know. Like it, it, it starts to get into like, dead baby joke ca category after a while where it's just like gross what's grosser than gross that's kind of what some of it turns out to be so i never do that i always want there to be a point to whatever if there's something extreme and disgusting happening there's got to be a point to it like in my book toxic love it's about a crime scene cleanup crew so it's got some really gross shit in it uh but the reason one of the characters even got into this job is because she can only get sexually aroused by blood uh, so, you know, there is like this psychological aspect behind all the, the gruesome scenes in the book. Well, and what you're doing, I feel like is also, um, you know, through how, how gross, I'm just going to keep using the word gross, but like through gross. how, through how gross some of this stuff is, I mean, you're, you're exploring things, you know, I mm -hmm. mean, like you're, you're communicating things, you're exploring things. Um, and that's, that's effective as hell, you know, like that's Thank the you. kind of thing that I feel like that's the catharsis that a lot of people are looking for when they're watching mm -hmm. horror movies or what you know i mean like a, a a character getting killed randomly doesn't do a lot in like a horror movie but if you've been with that character and he's afraid of the exact way he's about to get killed now you're cooking with gas you know like now yeah yeah exactly know, so it's like uh you know and like, like i said i mean like i'll take some some gross stuff just for gross stuff because it's like um <laughs> did you read cows by matthew stoko yes i did yeah Woo! Man, that was <laughs> there's that was... <laughs> there's some gnarly shit. No pun intended. Uh, yeah, there's some gnarly shit in that book. Yeah, uh, that was where I started my journey with the extreme horror genre. And, yeah, uh... that one's that one's got a touch of the bizarro to it as well. Uh, you know, with all with the talking cows and the relationship he has with the cows. But um, it to me, the stuff that was really the most disturbing is the stuff between the main character and his mother. Yeah, uh, that stuff was just that's the shit I remember most from the book. <laughs> what do you think it is about reading that kind of stuff or or to a, a, another extent, like watching that kind of stuff that when I was reading that, I couldn't stop reading it. Mm -hmm. What's up with that? Like, what is the yeah. do, you, do you have any like idea what that is? Well, um, I think the reason a lot of people respond uh, and get so addicted to uh, extreme horror, spider punk horror, is uh, is that other horror, more conventional horror, to particularly to someone who ingests it all the time, you know, horror fanatics like myself, conventional horror can become a little bit blasé, uh, where it, where it, like it's the stories could be excellent. And, and you'll love the book, but they don't freak you the fuck out anymore because you've just been desensitized from reading so much conventional horror. So then when a conventional horror reader starts reading extreme horror and just like gets punched in the face with all this transgressive content, all this transgressive shit, all of this um, intense stuff, all of this stuff that's generally disturbing and breaks taboos, uh, that's when the reader suddenly realizes that they're in a whole other category of fiction, uh, a, a whole other subcategory of horror. And I think that's 
like particularly when people are new to it, they just can't get enough. Uh, you know, like that's certainly how I was when I first discovered. Uh, I think it was Jack Ketchum's um, Off Season, and I had read Ketchum before, but the book I had read before that was Red, uh, R E D, um, and that's a, a great, great book and brutal in its own right. Uh, but the second book that I read was Off Season, and that book was the most extreme thing I had ever read in my life up until that point, and it let made a you know. I had a lasting impression on me. And after that, I had to get all extreme horror and I became obsessed with writing that particular brand of horror. With regard to your writing process, especially when you first started, um, were you kind of like, how sure were you that this was the genre for you? Had you tried writing other stuff before or was it a direct kind of like inspiration from writers like Jack Ketchum and you said, I want to do exactly this? Yeah, well, I mean, my love of Ketchum, it wasn't that I wanted to mimic him. I think my stuff is still very different from his, but like the spirit of his stuff is what I uh, definitely aspired to that greatness, um, the, the greatness of his storytelling and his character development in, in an extreme horror book. Uh, but I've been writing uh, scary stories since I was a, literally a child, not just a teenager, but a child. Uh, I grew up reading scary stories to tell in the dark and grim fables and stuff like that. Uh, and got into Stephen King at a young age. But yeah, I have books from when I was, uh, you know, notebooks from when I was seven years old and I was drawing monsters and writing stories about them. Uh, and uh, and I continued doing that. And I think I was about 15 or 16 when I decided that that's what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be a horror writer. And I worked for many years at just perfecting my craft. Um, you know, I would not just read, like a, I was a ravenous reader of horror, but also all the movies I would watch, and I also read books about writing horror, uh, books about being about writing, uh, and just studied writing in and of itself, and worked for many, many, many years uh, to get to where I am now. I think that you know, like even even when you've succeeded in one goal, at least for me, I always want to look ahead and be like, okay, what's the next goal? What more can I do? You know, like I always want to be better. Not not better than other people or better than some other writer. I don't think in that in those terms. I always want to be better than the writer I am right now. Like my my goal is like in five years I should hate what I wrote uh, today. You know, yeah. uh, not hate it, not hate it. But like there's the books I wrote five years ago are still good. But if 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 my writing isn't improving and getting better all the time, then I'm not doing it right. You should always be trying to write better and better and better stuff. Yeah, like um, maybe not hate it, but uh, look like maybe if you read through something from five years ago, you'd think, oh, I could have probably improved this part right here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I never I never really reread my books once they're done and published uh, because all I will it. see is all. Well, I've already read it a million times. Yeah, with all the editing. But it's also all I'll see is the stuff that I want to change, you know. I'll be holding a paperback and I'm like, oh, I would like to change that that sentence and maybe reword that. Like that's that's what happens, you know. So it's kind of like a lot of musicians will never listen to their albums once they're done because they just they hear things they just want to do a little bit differently, you know. Oh and yeah, it'll just drive you crazy. <laughs> so you're releasing a new book in August, which is the sequel mm -hmm. to one of your most popular books, "Gone to See the River Man." Uh, I've mm -hmm. seen so much praise for that book in particular. Was there anything yeah. specific that made you decide, okay, this one needs a sequel? Yes. Um, when I first wrote The River Man, uh, The Gone to See the River Man, I did not plan for it to to go any further than, than that book. Uh, I thought this was the complete story. 
and it's good the way it is, and it still is. You know, you could just read Guns to the Riverman because it is a, a, its own story. But what what happened is the response to it was so enormous. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easily my most popular book by far, uh, and I was so happy that people liked it so much that it got me thinking. I'm like, well, maybe I can expand upon this world. Uh, but you know, there, it was three years before I did. So I I'm, I didn't just jump on it and write a sequel because I because I thought it would make me a lot of cash or anything like that. Um, I wanted to wait until I had a good story that I thought was worthy of uh, of being a sequel. Um, so with Along the River of Flesh, I worked on it for a year and had uh, different uh, writers that are spec beta read it for me, edited it over and over again. And I, I, I really hope that people will be happy with it. Uh, the response to it so far has been phenomenal. So... Uh, and you know, and who knows? I could continue to expand upon the the world of the Riverman Man uh, going forward. That is so exciting that you know this was something that you had already kind of developed. So now there's this expectation, right? And it mm-hmm. sounds like you're you're satisfied with your delivery of it. So what a good feeling! That I must am. Be. I am. And uh, and like I said, so far the response has been really good. So uh, I'm definitely hoping that people enjoy it and think that it's a worthy sequel. Is watching movies and reading books like as cathartic for you as actually penning your own work? Well, I guess, yeah, it is. It just depends on, you know, it just depends on the book or the movie. But yeah, I could be absolutely genuinely moved by a book or a movie to the point of of tears. Um, I mentioned uh, Henry Rollins' sick uh, book. That book affected me emotionally very intensely. Like if you already have problems with depression, you probably want to avoid it because it's like one of the saddest and most painful things I've ever read, but it's phenomenal. It's very good. So yeah, I can definitely be moved. And, but also at the same time, even though it is uh, depressing, that can help you because it makes you like, if you have depression, you know, uh, or, or mental illness, it, it can help you not feel so alone, you know, to be like, Oh, okay. Other people know, know what this feels like, you know? Uh, so yeah, that can be cathartic, but then, with writing my own stuff, I think that is about as cathartic as it gets. You know, writing is my therapy. Um, and it's funny because then the stuff that I write, people read it and say, you need therapy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because of the nature of the books. Um, but but no, it really is uh, cathartic to to write the stuff that I do. Yeah. And when it comes to the, uh, you know, the, the extremity, uh, like you were comparing The All Died Screaming to uh, The Prettiest Girl in the Grave, uh, it really, it all depends on what this, I feel the story calls for. Sure. You know, I won't just write, make something extreme just to be extreme. It has to be part of the story, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. And to me, uh, I think The Prettiest Girl in the Grave is a much scarier book uh, than They All Died Screaming. They All Died Screaming is just, is more t- twisted and sick and bizarre. Mm-hmm. But to me, uh, Prettiest Girl in the Grave is just genuinely creepy. So I, I'm really proud of that book. I felt like with Prettiest Girl in the Grave, um, I thought I was getting, I thought I knew what I was getting myself into, but the situation that these girls found themselves in, the things that you kind of, I don't, without spoiling too much, without the things that you threw at them, I was, I was kind of in this position like, oh, I have no idea what's about to happen. Like, there's anything yeah. could happen in here. Like, I, this isn't just gross, creepy, dead stuff. No, no, this is a, mm-hmm. this is like a whole different dimension of like scariness that's yeah personalized yeah. to the people in this book which i thought was yeah bang on it was really cool oh thank you man i really appreciate that yeah that's that was the the concept of 
you know, these girls meet in a graveyard and they think it's all just spooky, fun and games. Uh, but then they go down into this crypt and it's kind of a gateway to an to this uh, labyrinth. This is very much like the catacombs of Paris, just filled with dead people. Uh, and like you said, the, the, there's, you know, there's a supernatural element to this book and it affects each character differently. It preys upon their individual fears. Uh, so, yeah, that's why it's a little more creepy to me. Um, you know, like as much as like total anarchy is is frightening, you know, Absolutely. which is the they all died screaming is total anarchy. And that's frightening. But being essentially buried alive and having your own fears, uh, you know, preyed upon by a supernatural entity that that freaks me out more personally. <laughs> and I think there's something to connect with, too, with this with Prettiest Girl in the Grave in particular with, um, you know, as kids. I feel like to, so to one degree or another, I mean, you kind of like experiment with like weird woo-woo shit, you know? I mean, you do like mm -hmm, the Bloody mm -hmm. Mary thing in the mirror oh, or yeah. those Ouija yeah. boards and stuff like that. Right. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I my, my grandparents lived out in the middle of the desert and I was out there all the time with them, but I had never walked that far into the... And when I say middle of the desert, look up Charleston View on Google Maps. It's mm. literally out in the middle of the California desert. Uh, but wow. we walked... One day we decided to walk pretty far out in there and we found like this weird like tunnel that had a bunch of like old car parts in it and stuff and yeah, it, and it yeah. kept and it was it was super deep like somebody had spent a lot of time digging this thing out there there was nobody around or at least we i, th I hope there was nobody around you know like <laughs> thinking back <laughs> on it because i was like nine years old but um you know like the the places that my imagination went when i was a kid and that they still mm -hmm. go today like what i still think about that like what the fuck was that what's, like, what's that going on yeah so weird that was, that was the other thing with with writing that uh the pretty girl on the grave is uh you know the, it, it does have that whole bloody mary ouija board type of thing where we all experiment with that kind of stuff when we're a kid we like to be to scare ourselves uh but then there's also like every town has its own, own uh, urban legend you know mm -hmm. there are other universal urban legends but then there are the town specific ones and you know a lot of them are based in some fact like oh don't go down to that pond because you know kids have drowned there before or whatever it is every town has something like that and so with prettiest girl in the grave i kind of like combined those things um and yeah so it, it delves into that kind of that early childhood horror that that early fear of the unknown Totally. Um, that we experience as kids and teenagers. That's how I felt when I went to the uh, the Paris catacombs. Oh, you uh, went the there? Catacombs that, oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I actually went there. That. Yes. Yeah, I went there for my 40th birthday. I turned 40 in the catacombs, surrounded by millions of dead French people. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, and it's it's amazing because it's just, you know, you, you do the tour, which is like the safe tour, but the catacombs go through all through the city. And there are all these little, little like hidden passageways. You're not supposed to go in; it's illegal. But there are all these hidden passageways, and there are, there are all these um, cataphiles. They're called uh, people that are just obsessed with it, and they go and they have like they they show movies down there and have parties down there, like these weird eyes wide shut fucking parties, <laughs> and you know, um, or or so the legend goes, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but no, the, the the walking tour was fantastic. I highly recommend it. It was my favorite thing about going to Paris. Um, yeah, because you're just walking through these tunnels that are just stacked, 
stacked with bones and not just stacked, but some they're all very artfully done. There'll be skulls placed in between stacks of uh, femurs. So there's like a line of skulls all across the wall on an even, you know, on an even field. And it's it's like a work of art, but it's it's made out of millions of dead people. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, that's one of the most macabre things we could probably find anywhere yeah. on the planet. And anywhere it's right under one of one of the most uh romantic quote unquote cities in right. the world. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful architecture, beautiful architecture on the hill, the Louvre and the art museums. And then underneath it's just just miles of death yeah <laughs> because you know during the plague times they just they they couldn't possibly bury everyone and you know, people were dying at such a rapid pace that they just they made the catacombs and just started stacking everybody in there that that kind of energy is what i tried to put into the prettiest girl in the grave um you know because it's it's a small cemetery that they go to it's kind of forgotten and grown over uh but then when they get into the the tomb it's like the paris catacombs where it just goes on and on so you read a lot of this genre. Um, for our listeners, what are some other, and I know you've been, you mentioned a couple of them, but what are some other independent authors or publishers in this genre that you would recommend to our listeners, specifically with regard to splatterpunk and extreme horror? Yeah, uh, there are a lot of great ones. Um, uh, Aaron Beauregard is really popular right now, and with good reason. Uh, he's an you know, excellent horror writer. Uh, Daniel J. Volpe, uh, Scott Cole, Ryan Harding, C.B. Hunt, Christine Morgan, uh, uh, you know, uh, Wesley, uh, Wesley Southerd, uh, uh, Wiley Young. Yeah, the, the list goes on. There's a lot of really great ones. Yeah, a lot of really great ones. Those are all people that are working now. You know, but then if you're looking to go back and go back to like the guys I read, that's where you're, you're going to want to get Jack Ketchum, Rath James White, Brian Keane, uh, you know, like all those guys. Thank you for the exhaustive list. That's uh, that's useful for me. Oh, I could keep going. For... Yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> I, I could keep going. In fact, I, I started a thing on my TikTok where I'm basically doing that, where I'm talking about uh, the extreme horror books that people don't know. Uh, because, you know, like you see a lot in it, and it's great. You see people talk about, you know, the big ones, you know, Womb and books like and the Slob, books like that. Uh, but I'm like, okay, so you, everyone knows those already. I'm going to tell you, you know, about the ones that you don't know. Because I'm, this is what I do for a living. I'm a professional and I've studied it. I've been reading this genre for 30 years. So I come with this wealth of knowledge. And I'm like, oh, this is what I'm going to try to share with people. So I do this, you know, this little program now on uh, my TikTok. So anyone listening, you can check me out on TikTok at Christopher Triana. And you can see these videos. It's really cool. That, I mean, using the platform to kind of like bump up some other people that, uh, in your genre, you know, that's absolutely that's what, yeah. that's what a platform is for. You know, like pat everybody else on the back. That's the great thing about the horror community is we're all in this together. We're trying to, you know, share the joy of reading horror. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm the first person that will always stand up and and uh, tout, you know, my peers that are doing an excellent job. And all the people I've mentioned are, are excellent. I've noticed the uh, the horror lit subreddit is probably one of the nicest places I've ever been on the Internet. I don't know if you yeah. frequent it. You you're, you come up a lot in the horror subreddit for sure. Um, oh, that's with, great uh, to hear. David Sodergren comes up a lot. Mm. Um, I've never read any of his stuff, uh, but yeah, the, the community is so nice. I mean, as you can imagine, I mean, um, a lot of the same questions get asked in that kind of community because like not mm. everybody's just paying attention to every single post all the time. So 
Um, but people are very patient and don't mind yeah. like, recommending the same things like over and over again because like they want to find like I typed in I'm very partial and my listeners know this but I really like forest horror like anything mm. anything in the forest like do you have do you have by chance do you have anything that takes place like directly oh in- yes I have a book coming out in October called That Night in the Woods Ooh. Woods is right there in the title oh. baby <laughs> yeah I I um I grew up in Central Oregon in not not bend but like 20 miles south of bend and like on five acres of untended forest and nice man it is creepy as hell out there oh like yeah night, yeah right. i i live in the mountains myself i live in the woods and i've always preferred it uh and in fact uh both riverman books they take place in the woods uh so you'll have that to look forward to when you read yeah. Like I've seen posts where people are lo- are looking for the kind of stuff that you're writing, and people are just like Christopher Triana, Christopher Triana, Christopher Triana. Like uh, go well, read Christopher Triana. Uh, that's that is wonderful to hear. Um, yeah, yeah I, I do see it. I do see it uh, to some extent. Uh, but I, you know, I definitely I always try to communicate with my fans as much as I can. Uh, I do get a lot of fan mail now, which is a great problem to have. Yeah. But I, I I can't always respond to every comment because between all of the social media platforms and then Goodreads and and reddit and everything else it's impossible to keep up with all of it if i tried i wouldn't be able to write any books uh, so yeah. i'd be too busy doing that stuff um but i really love and appreciate all my fans and all the people that take the time to re- do reviews whether it's a, a TikTok video an instagram picture or an amazon review which are super helpful for writers uh, i i love my fans very much and i appreciate them without them i wouldn't be able to do what i do where do you keep to a writing schedule like a strict writing schedule or do you have a specific routine that you found works very well for you when you maybe specifically when you're drafting well writing is always on my mind i i can't i can't stop it if i wanted to so coming up with story ideas that just comes to me all the time i'll be driving i'll be going for a walk and it comes just pops into my head um i have little notebooks like this all over the house I know a lot of people just use their phone to type notes these days, yeah. but I'm old, old school. So I just, I, I, so that way they're everywhere in the house. So if I come up with an idea, I could write it down. Uh, so I won't forget it. Uh, so definitely, you know, I keep one by my bedside because, you know, you come up with a great idea in the night and be like, oh, I got to remember that. And you will not remember it, particularly once you get over 40, you're not going to remember shit. So write <laughs> it down. Um, but when it comes to actually doing the writing, yes, my ritual is usually I'll get up uh, and, you know, I'll take the dog out. I'll eat some breakfast. I'll exercise. Uh, and then I'll get down to the writing and I'll write, you know, anywhere for like four to six hours a day. And I do it almost every day. Um, and then the, but the, the time that I will kind of break that schedule is when I have a new book coming out and I'm very focused on uh, promoting it, advertising it, being a guest on shows like yours, you know, things like that. And then, you know, so those days I have to be like, OK, I can't get writing done, but I'm still working. So. I don't feel bad because I'm one of those people where if I'm not getting stuff done, I feel guilty. I feel guilty sitting there and, and relaxing. I can only enjoy it if I've been working all day. You know, then once I'm then I'm when I'm done, I'm like, OK, now I set the lights down low. I take my edible and I listen to my blues music you know, <laughs> and I enjoy and I enjoy myself. But even then I'm taking notes and coming up with ideas, you know, yeah. so it's kind of like a nonstop process. But uh, not to just keep promoting my, um, oh, promote, my different promote, places promote. you can go, but. If, but I do write, uh, I have a, a Substack newsletter and I write a lot about uh, different writing tips uh, to, to aspiring writers, younger writers. So if you're looking for, for those, uh, definitely follow me on Substack uh, under my, my name, Christopher Tran. And, and for those listening, it's Chris with a K, K-R-I-S. Um, 
But uh, yeah, because uh, I could get into more, but there's just so much information. Um, but the main thing I could, uh, I'll tell you is uh, if you want to be a writer, you, you want to be persistent, you want to keep writing, you want to keep perfecting your craft, you want to listen to uh, you know, the people who edit your work and beta read your stuff. You can't just think that everything you write is gold. You know, the, those people are trying to help you. So listen to the criticism. You don't always have to agree with it, but listen to it um, and just keep working hard and don't stop. Even if people tell you that you suck, then just keep working harder so you don't suck and don't give up. If someone like if someone reads your stuff, say you have a beta reader or a friend that you let read your stuff and they're like, OK, I think you could fix this and that, but this story's good. And then they go to the next store and say, oh, I think you can fix this and that. But this story's pretty cool. I enjoyed it. But then they'll get to the third story and they'll be like, yeah, this story sucks. You know, <laughs> then, you know, that person is being honest with you, then, yeah. you know, because they're like, OK, they tell you what they like, but they're being honest and telling you what they, they don't like. Don't, they're like a beta reader or an editor that just applauds you and just tells you everything you write is good. They're just a sycophant and they're not yeah. going to be any help to you whatsoever. It's no. the people that are going to be bluntly honest with you. And I, I've experienced this myself as because, you know, I've edited work for uh, Aaron Beauregard and Wolpe. And when I first started editing for them, they're like, man, you're brutal. You just take a dump all over my stuff. I'm like, no, I'm pointing out the problems, you know, for me to just constantly be like yay this is great this is great too there's definitely stuff that i like within that story but i'm not going to comment on that because it's good as it is i'm going to comment on the stuff that needs work because i'm trying to fucking help you know yeah. uh so constructive criticism is something that people should listen to and again you don't always have to agree you know there's been times when i've told you know aaron i'm like hey you should change this and he's like fuck that i'm keeping it my way and i'm like all right you do what you want you know this is just this is your book this is just my feedback but it's the constructive criticism that uh young writers need to be more open to. I think a lot of young writers are uh, a little too precious about their stuff and they need to accept that, the, you know, particularly if it's your first book or two, it's probably not going to be that good, but that's okay because you have to continue to work and grow. You're not going to write a masterpiece immediately. You have to, you know, continue to work your way up. It's a craft. It is. Yeah. The stuff I wrote in my 20s, I would, I'd never want anyone to see, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just not good, you know, because I was still working on it. They, like the, you know, the foundation is there, but I had to get better. Even now, even now, you know, I'm successful at what I do and I have a, a, a wonderful fan base, but I always want to continue to improve and be even better and that. go on to the next thing and the next thing. Um, what do you find works for you when you're having difficulty with a scene or a plot point in a project you're working on? Like, do you just do you push through that? Do you just write it all out, or do you like put it down for a little bit and come back and maybe work on something else? Does that does that ever happen to you? Uh, well, usually if I'm working on something, uh, I, uh, I know some writers will like, oh, I'm working on a short story, but I'm also working on a novel and this that, and uh, that doesn't work for me. I think it, you're much better off just focusing on one thing so you can stay in it, and you'll prevent yourself from getting kind of stuck again because you're you're every day you're thinking about one story rather than multiple you know just focus on one put all your energy you know it's kind of like a jack of all trades thing you know it's like if you're trying to do everything uh, everything is going to suffer you need to put all your eggs in one basket if you're going to write a story uh, like if, when it comes to writer's block yeah that, that happens to all of us and sometimes when it, i notice when it happens to me it's it's usually because of burnout it's because i'm going too too strong uh, you know, I, I'm very prolific. I put out a lot of material and sometimes I have to be like, okay, you need to just take a break and spend a few days just reading and relaxing, uh, because you're getting blocked because you're, you're working yourself into the ground. Uh, so no, it, it, it's, it's important to know when to step back and say, all right, I wanted to get a certain word count today, but I'm not feeling it. And I need to work this out. I need to figure out this scene 
uh, before I write it. So I need to plot it out rather than just pants it, you know, rather than just be seat of my pants writing it. Um, yeah, but every writer will have their own different way that works for them. So it's, it's up to each writer to discover that, to try out some of the things that I've just said and to try out other things, read books that are about writing by writers. Like Stephen King has a book called On Writing. Dean, uh, 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 David Morell has a book called The Successful Writer. These are great books to read about the process of writing. Uh, any any young writer should read them for sure. Or or not young, but just any newcoming writer. Yeah, I mean, you could start writing when you're 60. You know? Who knows? You could do whatever you want. Uh, do you typically outline your novels or are you kind of just seeing where it goes? It's a, it's a combination of the two. I don't do a, I don't do a complete uh, outline or a complete blueprint of everything that's going to happen in the story. I never do that because as you write the story, they, in, the, the stories inevitably change and you come up with more ideas as you're working on it. And so you change things around. But before I start on a book, I do start with the initial concept. And I type out the whole concept, certain plot points, uh, and then I build character backgrounds. You know, I'll say, okay, here's the name of the character, here's their exact age, and here's what they look like. So I don't forget, you know, that they have brown eyes and, and you know, or, or they have blonde hair or whatever. Um, but then I also just write about their character. I write their backstory. Not a lot, you know, maybe like half the page. I'll write the backstory of each main character. Um, so that way, I'm not writing it out as I go along when I'm writing the story. I already know. I already have a concrete idea of who they are, what matters to them, where where they come from, what their dreams are, what their fears are. Uh, and then like that way, when you're writing the story, it's you're slowly sprinkling those facts throughout the story instead of info dumping them, you know? Okay. Uh, so yeah, I do outline and I do, you know, and I, I have like, I usually have two files when I'm working on a story. I have the, I have the book itself and then I have another uh, document that's just all the different ideas that I have, all the a list of the characters, a list of the locations uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, but it's not, a, it's not a from start to finish outline at all. You know, my books are a lot of seat of the pants. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like that's a really cool way to write out, especially for horror too. I mean, you want to surprise yourself even sometimes I'm sure. Oh yeah, like uh, I think the the best example of that was when I was writing Full Brutal, because um, that's a book where the horror just escalates and escalates. The main character is a psychopathic young girl who wants to realizes she's a sadist that she gets off on hurting others, uh, but everything she does, the next thing she she does has to be even worse to for her to get the same thrill. She can't just do the same thing over and over. So like one time she'll sabotage someone, stab them in the back. Next time, like she'll set the, someone up to be physically hurt and then she'll be physically hurting people herself and on and on and on uh, until like up, up until murder, you know? Um, and so with that book, I was entertaining myself. because so I'm like, okay, what's the next level up? How do I level up the evil even more than what I just wrote? and just get worse and worse and worse until the ending. And full brew, by the way, like you've mentioned how extreme and disturbing um, Bailbite Screaming is, and it is, uh, but that's nowhere near uh, like the most extreme shit. If you want the most extreme thing, the most evil thing that I've written is probably Full Brutal or uh, another book called And the Devil Cried. Uh, full Brutal is more blood and, and gore and carnage, but And the Devil Cried is just a very mean-spirited uh, very vicious book, uh, and the main characters from both those books, Full Brutal and In the Devil Pride, are I think tied for the most reprehensible, most evil character that I've ever written. And I get comments all the time from readers <laughs> on that. I'd be like, "Holy shit, this is 
uh, this is the worst human being I've ever encountered in a story, you know? <laughs> so I'm proud of that. <laughs> so when you're writing that stuff, I mean, you're, you're exploring maybe the, the depths that people could go, go to, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, like, are you ever, how do I put this? Like, uh, are you ever kind of like self-inserting at all? Are you ever, you know, thinking about like, do you, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, is, are you connecting with this personally? Uh, like when you're writing out these horrible like characters that would do things that you would never ever do you know right yeah like, and, and certainly not things that i would desire to do right uh, yeah. some people make that mistake I, I some people think you know if you write something you must want it to happen and uh, that's utterly ridiculous people who think that way just don't have much of an imagination themselves they don't understand the creative process um because yeah, I mean, there'll, there'll be little bits of me in every one of my books, you know, like in Ex Boogeyman. Ex Boogeyman is uh, is about is like about slasher movies, and I'm a huge slasher movie fan. Uh, so that comes out in that. Oh, you've got it there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's a lot of me in that book, uh, but the 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 me that's in it isn't the guy that's killing people. It's the me who grew up watching slasher movies and love it. So like the slasher movie nerd in me is very much in that book um yeah. and you know with with some of my other books there'll be a little bit of stuff that i touch on like you know things that happened in my life will inspire me to like work that into a book but i always fictionalize it i think if there's any book that's the most true to life for me it's um my first published novel which is called the ruin season there's a lot of me in that book uh the main character is a dog trainer i used to be a dog trainer before i was writing full-time uh, it also is a book that deals with uh, mental illness, and I have bipolar disorder. So it was kind of a cathartic thing for me to write that book, too. Um, so, yeah, there's a little bit of of the writer in, in their works, but uh, certainly I certainly don't want to be a cannibal or uh, or anything like some of the stuff that I've <laughs> I written. I don't think. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This isn't, uh, I'll, I'll probably cut this, but um, I'm working on a horror novel right now about a kid who saw his sister get killed while they were lost in the forest by a, like, it, like a monster that I just like created. And it's just like, it just, just eats the fuck out of his sister, like right in front of him. Oh, wow. And then, and then his, his, the search party finds him like right as the monster disappears with his sister's body. And then for the rest of the book, he's in and out of therapy and they're trying to tell him like, no, that was a bear. Like that wasn't. You know, mm -hmm. but he, but he he's seen it in trees throughout right. the book. He knows. he knows it's fucking real, and like, and then his friends want to go on a camping trip close to where that happened, and he really likes the girl that he's with, and he wants to like impress her. This is like years down the line, yeah. and then all the then all his friends get brutally murdered by this monster. Uh, but yeah. like, see the the shit we do for girls, the shit we do for, for girls. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but like I, but I I thought of it because like i was going i had um pa i had panic disorder like um generalized mm -hmm. anxiety um i still deal yeah. with it all the time and i remember when i was first dealing with it i was trying to talk to people about it and they were just like dude come on like it's you know i mean like you need to go on a run like you yep. need to you know and it's just like yeah, dude i, I can't know. describe this thing but it's so bad like it's yeah. like and yeah. the fact that you are yeah. on my level is so frustrating you know um, yeah i know it, it's very aggravating when people say stuff like that they're like oh don't be depressed cheer up it's like, oh, why didn't I think of That's that? That's such a Genius. great idea. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's ridiculous when people say shit like that. I and, and I don't think they're doing it maliciously, but no. it's kind of like I was like, would you go up to someone with cancer and be like, oh, you know, stop, stop laying around. You should get outside yeah, and exercise. Totally. Would you would you sell tell someone with you know, uh, you know, who has who has a heart condition or a disease, you know, like to just snap out of it? No, of course, because yeah. you can't. And it's the same thing when you have 
a mental health condition. You know, the, the mind, the brain is, you know, it's just like any other part of the body. It malfunctions. And when it does, it affects your personality, it affects your moods, and it, it can fuck you up just as badly as any other physical ailment, you know. Yeah, so. I mean, it's really, <laughs> I, really inspiring to hear that you've got like this outlet you know, and maybe, and it, you know, the, that's the funny thing about outlets too. It's like, it's a, it's an outlet. It's not a cure, you know, it's not a, it's right, not like exactly. this thing where like you started writing and now you feel better and everything's fucking awesome. It's like, right. no, but now this thing that maybe you weren't able to articulate as well, you know, yep. in, at barbecues when people didn't want to hear right. it, <laughs> they yeah, want for, to bring for, everybody down. Oh, for years and years, I didn't even tell people that I was bipolar because I was just embarrassed. Um, and I thought people would look at me like I, like I was a crazy person, like they wouldn't want to, you know, be in my life. That they would just be like, "Oh, he's nuts," you know. Uh, I get that anyway. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm actually uh, but, curious about that. Like, what's what's your what you you probably get? Um, how do I put this? A negative response, maybe, to some of the work that you put out uh, from people that maybe haven't read the genre before, or they were told to read it and they didn't really know what they were getting themselves into. Mm. Um, how do you how do you feel about that? I mean, not necessarily just like the trollish reviews that are just like, right, right. Ah, you suck. Like, whatever. Stop. But the the real ones that are, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I, I do get people, you know, who will be like, well, you know, the writing was there and it it, uh, it was an effective story, but I don't think I'll read any more because, excuse me, they'll say like, oh, I couldn't I couldn't make it through it because it was just too intense. It was too disturbing. Uh, and and whatever, I respect that. You know, if you don't like it, uh, don't read it. You know, yeah. if it or if it if it affects you too much, you know, like some people need trigger warnings or whatever. You know, if it affects you too much in a negative way, uh, then fine, don't read it. But uh, but with me, it's um, you know, I I I think it's better to uh, to confront the things that upset you, to face them and deal with them rather than try to hide from them and avoid them all the time. Uh, and I know everybody's different. Everyone's case is different. I don't know what it's like to be you know, to be a, a victim in the way that everyone else has been. And I'm not trying to tell anyone how to handle their life, but I'm just saying for me personally, if something, if there's something that makes me afraid or something that upsets me or some, something traumatic that happened to me, I like to face it. That way I'm not, I don't feel like it's hovering behind me, like some evil shadow waiting to, you know, upset me at any time. I'd rather just deal with it and face it head on. Um, but that's just me. There's a uh, there's a book by Ursula Le Guin called uh, A Wizard of Earthsea. It's like a really classic fantasy book, and um, mm. it's about a kid who uh, is training to be a wizard, and he accidentally lets out like this just darkness, like he just fucks up a spell, and it's just now like this darkness is constantly following him everywhere he goes mm. and it's, it's yeah. through all sorts of adventures and stuff, and he's like trying to deal with it, but he's also just running away from it the entire book, and finally at the end of the book. And this doesn't spoil too much, but at the end of the book, I mean, like the his mentor is just like, dude, you gotta, you gotta figure, you gotta turn around. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, you got, yeah, you yeah. can't if you keep running from this thing, it's just gonna keep chasing you. You know, like eventually you're gonna have to look, look around and face it and confront it. You know, and like that's like one of the most powerful things about stories and about fiction. And, and you know, regardless if it, if it's like, you know, cozy f fantasy about tea shops or all the way over here and you know uh, gory splatterpunk stuff like the like Stephen King would say the truth is in the lie you know yeah. like you, you are you're able to connect with so many different things through uh the spectacle 
as the Romans would call it, or the Greeks, mm-hmm. or whoever the fuck, <laughs> whoever the fuck said it. Uh, but yeah, the spectacle, you know. And I think that with extreme horror, I mean, like what you're able to do here and what you've been able to do with these books is lock into a certain spectacle. I feel like I don't. I hope that doesn't sound like I'm reducing anything, but I, I feel no. Like I, I get what you mean. Yeah. yeah, it's there's, and I think that might be like kind of like one of my earlier questions that I asked, like why do I keep reading this? It's like the spectacle is there, but the juice is in there too, you know, like yeah, the, the yeah. things that are the things that I'm really connecting with are beneath the spectacle and the spectacle is just pretty cool. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I like reading about a bunch of girls that are caught in a otherworldly labyrinth that are being chased around by their greatest fears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that thank you. I, I appreciate yeah. it. I have uh, one last question, if that's okay with you. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Yeah. What would you like as a reader and a writer to see more of in the horror genre? Like, what do you think is not, maybe not being done, uh, maybe on like a publisher level or uh, even on like a creative level, things that you think uh, are missing, if anything? Hmm. Um, well, I, I have to say, I, I'm really happy with the way things are going in the splatterpunk world right cool. now. Uh, yeah. The fan base is ravenous and super supportive. Uh, and there's a lot of great voices out there right now. Uh, I'm going to KillerCon in about a week and a half, which is where the Spider-Punk Awards are held. And it's and it's a, a convention and it's a, a get together of just horror, extreme horror writers and extreme horror fans. You know, so like there's it, it's really great right now. Um, as far as things I would like to see, I would like to see more attention uh, uh, spotlighted on uh, women and minority extreme horror authors. Um and and I mean there are like there are because these people are out there, um, but I see a lot of like the same names come up a lot uh, when people are talking about horror, and I'm so glad that I'm one of them. Uh, but there's some some great writers out there, uh, like C.B. Hunt, Christine Morgan that I mentioned earlier, uh, you know Summer Cannon, like these these women who write extreme horror, Kenzie Jennings, uh, and like I want to see them get more attention uh, because they're excellent. And I don't know what it is, but like a lot of people just tend to focus on more of the male writers. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there are more male extreme horror writers than there are women. There's just more male horror writers, period. Uh, But there's some great female writers out there. And it was really beneficial to me to read female extreme horror writers because it helped me write female characters better uh, to to better understand uh, women and what women see as extreme horror, you know, by reading Nicole Cushing and C.B. Hunt and, and people like that. Um, so I, I highly recommend it, you know, if you're a writer and trying to write extreme horror, but I also just recommend it to all the fans out there. These are some some badass ladies that will fuck you up. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you read Charlie Jacobs' uh, Dread in the Beast, if you read Lake House Inferno by Christine Morgan, if you read, if you read Ritualistic Human Sacrifice by C.V. Hunt, you'll see what I'm talking about. These women are just as sick and fucked up as me or Aaron Beauregard or anybody else. So <laughs> so check them out. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I like having authors on here so I can promote their new stuff and everything. But another really great aspect of having somebody else on this channel with me who reads uh, you know, as much as I do and in a specific genre. And then we can kind of like also bolster some of those other names as well. And like, this is all about community, you know, like let's grow Mm -hmm. the community even more. You know, there's no cap at all to how much you can read, to how diversely you can read. Um, and that's, that includes 
genres too you know um and if you're mm -hmm. listening right now i mean please go check out christopher triana you know i mean like if if like, i would encourage you to check uh, content warnings of course i would i would encourage you to check content warnings for anything um but mm -hmm. you know his stuff is is brutal but it's just so damn good it's awesome Chris. Oh, thank you man thank you so much <laughs> i appreciate it and please make sure to go check out not only The Prettiest Girl in the Grave, which just came out this year, I just finished it, I loved it, but also Gone to See the River Man, one of Chris's po most popular books, and its sequel, which comes out in August, called Along the River of Flesh. Uh, before I let you go, just real quick, is there anything mm -hmm. that you're working on presently that maybe you're able to talk about? Because I know there's some fans listening. Oh, sure. Um, well... Uh, Cemetery Dance is releasing my next book. Uh, it's called That Night in the Woods, and that comes out this October, just in time for Halloween. And it's a Halloween-themed uh, book. It's not about Halloween in and of itself. You know, it's not you know witches and goblins, uh, but it takes place in October. It takes place on Halloween, cool. um, and uh, so I'm really excited about that book. Uh, it's already been getting some some really cool reviews. Uh, a lot of people are very torn on the ending. Some people, you know, because it's kind of a twist. And some people were like, wow, I loved it. I didn't see it coming. It was awesome. And then others were like, what the fuck was that? That was totally out of left field. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of a divisive ending, which is kind of exciting for me. So we'll see how that goes. But people are liking it so far. I've got another book. Uh, it's just it's hard to say because I'm not sure which one is going to come out next um, after that, because I have other books that are in the works, but sometimes there'll be delays with edits or publishers or whatever. Um, but I do have another book that I'm going to be releasing in probably January or February. Um, and that one is trauma horror um, that I'm tackling with that one, which is, you know, the kind of like, you know, movie like um, hereditary, you know, mm -hmm, or totally. you know, like where it's like, that's, that's trauma horror. It's like the horror of dealing with like this family dealing with their daughter, their young daughter having died and how it fucks up their family. Uh, so my story isn't like that story at all, but it's, uh, but it is a trauma horror story and uh, it's called the old lady and it's uh it's going to be coming out sometime in 2024 uh usually pretty early probably january and you're a workhorse it's I am, truly yes. inspiring <laughs> oh thank you man appreciate it i'm dubbing it. you the brandon sanderson of extreme horror <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much Thank you. I, uh, I, I will wear that label with pride. <laughs> Everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'm going to be putting all of Chris's uh, information where you can buy his books, where you can reach him, all of that stuff down in the description for this episode. It'll be nice and hyperlinked for you. Should be really easy for you to find all of that. Christopher, seriously, thank you so much for coming on and for the huge amount of quality work that you're putting out. Seriously. Um, Evan, thank you so much, man. And thanks for all the work that you do uh, with your podcast and TikTok, uh, where you're constantly promoting books and writers. Uh, you know, that's a huge benefit to the community. So thank you, man. You're awesome. That's what it's all about. All right, everybody. Hope you have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, happy reading.